Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where today, some breaking news up on Capitol Hill, Senate Republicans uh, were able to block the bipartisan commission that Democrats wanted to create to investigate the riots of January 6th, Uh, so there will not be a bipartisan commission, at least not now, uh, to investigate that tragedy. Uh, but some breaking news there. You can get all the details, of course, on justthenews.com. Now, today we're going to do something fun. I don't, I don't have a monologue for you. I really want to cue up my first guest. We are so lucky. We've seen him on TV for decades. Um, but as a reporter, you know, I have a handful of people I call um, and use as a reporter, as a journalist, as bellwethers, people who can tell you where the liberal movement is, stands, where the um, independent movement in politics stands, where the Republicans and conservatives stand. And for the last five or six years, I have been following this guy. Yes, he's a Hollywood star. Uh, He was the original host. I bet you don't know this. He was the original host of Wheel of Fortune before Pat Sajak and hosted some of the most iconic game shows in American history, had a role in movies. He's a great thinker. He's got a podcast. But for me... Uh, He's among six or seven people that I monitor on Twitter all the time to get a sense of what conservatives are thinking. Now, I've got folks on the left that I monitor. You know, John Podesta, uh, former Clinton chief of staff, Hillary Clinton chairman. You you monitor his social media and his comments because he's a good representative as a journalist. You really understand where the left is going. And there are members of Congress on both sides. I do that too. But for the last five or six years, I've been following Chuck Willery. I probably never told him this. I'm going to tell him him today. But I have followed him as a bellwether because I think he has a way of summarizing and accentuating where conservative thought, conservative ideas, conservative politics are about to go. That's what a bellwether does. They're like a crystal ball. And for some reason, Chuck has this extraordinary prescience to, uh, to know where a story is going, where conservative thought is going. And for instance, a few months ago, he was already on the critical race theory and the stuff going on in our schools. That's become a big issue now on the China virus, uh, the the, uh, virus that came potentially, the possibility came out of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. He was somebody talking about that. He's really had a radar that as a journalist, you know, when you follow the right people, you can get ahead of where, politics is going. And I've been blessed over the years to just follow his social media 
and, and, and consider him among a group of people that I help me understand where I think conservative politics is. Some are in Hollywood, some are in Washington, some are in business that I follow. Uh, likewise, some are, uh, you know, on all sides. I follow liberals, I follow conservatives, I follow independents. That's what you got to do as a journalist to get a 360 view so that we can come and try to inform you honestly at Just the News. And so today, without further ado, you're going to get a very special treat right after the commercial break. Chuck Willery is joining us. Yes, Chuck Willery, the, the man we welcomed into our living room for decades. Gracious, uh, entertaining, funny, politically astute. Uh, we're very blessed to have him right after this commercial break, our exclusive interview with Chuck Willery. And when we're done with that, we're going to take you for a few minutes to Lithuania. Yeah, maybe it feels like you're eating broccoli for a second, but you know why? It's an important democracy in the Baltics that is showing courage against a neighbor who is having a totalitarian crackdown on its people. We all heard about the headlines in Belarus today. We're going to talk to one of the youngest members of the Lithuanian parliament, someone that shares our values about human rights, politics, freedom, freedom of expression, freedom of speech. And uh, Marius uh, Matasaitis is here. He'll give us a little update on what's going on with the tragedies in Belarus and how Lithuania, a little country of less than 3 million people, are standing up for freedom the way America normally stands up for freedom. We're going to have both of those. First, the commercial break. Then, to our good friend Chuck Wallery, right after this. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, somebody that I've been watching on television for years. I admire for both his political uh, viewpoints and his extraordinary talents. Chuck Woolery is joining us today. Chuck, it is an honor to have you on the show. Well, it's my honor to be on your show, John. I follow you too. And so we have a mutual admiration society here. <laughs> How about that? I love it. Well, I um, I'm, I follow your Twitter often as a bellwether for just where people are thinking. I think you have such a unique ability to take things that are in the back of people's heads and get it to the frontal lobe. And one of the things that I, I saw you tweeting about the last few days that caught my attention is just how much the COVID-19 story has come full circle. Last year when President um, Trump was saying, hey, I think this could have come from a lab accident. It could have come from a mistake in China. And he was panned. People who wrote about it, like myself, got banned from Facebook or censored. And now the story has come full full circle. And uh, I love that the tweet you have. You really you really kind of brought the hypocrisy of the media. They're, they're covering it now like they didn't disown it for a whole year. How did that happen? It's, well, it's just what they do. They, you know, they just uh, deny the fact that they ever said anything and move on to the next thing. Yeah. And then it comes back to bite them, but it never really bites them, uh, which is the problem. But uh, anyway, the thing of it is, is that a year ago, I just did a podcast this morning on Blunt Force Truth with Mark. And a year ago, we were talking about gain of function. Right. Nobody was talking about it. No. And we were, 
we were connecting the dots from, uh, I think, University of North Carolina and Harvard and, and other places. So we were right. doing a little bit of research with information that was available to anybody. And so we talked about this, and then uh, everybody called us conspiracy theorists and nuts and crazy. And so here we are now that, uh, you know, Fauci has said before Congress that, well, there's no such, we didn't do gain of function. Of course, we know he did. Yeah. And we know they did, and we know they paid for it with American dollars for some unknown reason. And I guess it was to get around the the uh, restrictions of gain of function in this country that Obama imposed. Right. And so that's all I can, you know, deduct from what's going on. And so they figured, well, they'll go and fund China and let them do it, which I find is totally insane. And on top of that, does China really need our money to do gain of function exactly. research? I mean. They're doing really? well on their own. <laughs> uh, thank you. It's like saying it's like to Amazon, we're going to give you a $3,000 bonus for just showing up today. I mean, it's crazy. It is. So uh, anyway, we talked about that, and, and we I finally figured out that Dr. Fauci has really put himself into a to a box that he's not going to be able to get out of. That's a great point. I don't think it's going to. The funny thing about it is when you, when you get to Washington and you get to these experts and people who are responsible for the health of the nation— we have now found out that they're just not quite honest. They're very political, and they mislead a great deal, and they confuse you with mixed messages. And so I don't think he'll ever be resp held responsible for anything that he's done. And quite frankly, what he's been a part of, and this may sound hyperbolic, but I don't mean it to be, what he's been a part of with perhaps no intention of being a part of is literally killing millions of people around the world. I mean, when you think about that happening and no one being held responsible for it, and no one having any curiosity at all within the Biden administration to get to the bottom of this and to completely, you know, go along with the China denial. I, it's perplexing and frustrating. It really is. Yeah, this is listen. One of the most this is one of the most tragic world moments in the in in a century. I mean, right, right up there with the world wars and everything. So many lives lost, and there's a, an un you said it an unbelievable lack of curiosity to get to the bottom of it, which makes me wonder that maybe they know where the bottom is and they don't want to go there. Um, well, I think they probably do, but yeah. I think I don't think that most of the American people, and I, I don't mean to you know talk down to them or condescend in any way, but I just think. They just don't understand how China has infiltrated every part of our government and our and our media, of Hollywood, of uh, corporations, and how how much power they have over all these people that they will literally deny their own country and support a Chinese communist line of thinking and it's and just repeat phrases that they say in order to be on their good side. I mean, even when it comes to Taiwan, here's this guy who was an actor who said something about Taiwan, and he immediately had to retract his statement. Yeah. I think he's been fast and furious, and uh, had to retract it and say, I'm sorry, I mentioned Taiwan as being a country. <laughs> Isn't that something? Yeah. Well, I mean, it is something. It shows you the power that they have. Yeah, no, there's there's no doubt. And academia is another place where they embedded so many of their academics. Oh. And uh, yeah. un unraveling of that towards the end of the Trump administration, the Bar Justice Department was starting to prosecute a lot of these academics who were taking illegal money from China, not disclosing it. But uh, I don't think we've unraveled even a part of that onion yet. There's so many more peels and layers to go. 
do you think as we, we, we uh, learn more from this and the story is clearly evolving, I think a lot of people are going to look back at that famous moment between Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci, where he pinned him down and said, you're telling me oh, yeah. you, you didn't pay for any gain of function research that that, that moment's going to come back uh, and, and give us some uh, new relevance in the near future. But do you think as we look, step back from this, that the, uh, the American people will look at the public health system, which we're, we take a lot of pride in, right? We love our doctors. We love our nurses. But it looks like a public health system that we gave tens of billions of dollars to really had no strategy, no execution capability when the first pandemic came along. Do you think there's a moment inflection as we get further away from the crisis of COVID and we go back and say, we got to fix this. We got to we have a broken bureaucracy. Well, our, you know, our bureaucracy has been broken for a long, long time. It's yeah. just that none of us knew that even the the health of our country was you know, run by a broken bureaucracy, which obviously we know now, yeah. and it's very disappointing. It's very disheartening. But then you get the connections to the World Health Organization, which is incredibly corrupt. Uh, and now we got to depend on them to do research and find out where it came from and China and all this kind of thing. You know the thing, John, that really that is very disturbing. What's that? And there's just no reason in Washington at all. It's just gone. Is when. If Donald Trump was for it, or if he said he thought about something that could very well be, and he's one of these guys who's an entrepreneur that uh, my dad used to say, he said, you know, son, I'm going to tell you something. There are guys in the world who are very successful entrepreneurs, and the secret is they can see around corners. He said guys like Carnegie and Rockefeller and people like He said they, they just literally see around corners. They see what nobody else sees. Yep. And he said that's why they got so far ahead of everybody else. It's just a gift. It's like a fighter pilot, that one fighter pilot that can see the plane that's coming at him and nobody else can see because he's got this incredible eyesight. Right. So Donald Trump was, I believe, one of those guys, without sounding like I'm, you know, just an accolade. Yeah. But uh, he was one of those guys who kind of saw around corners, and no matter what he said, the left was so opposed to it. And quite frankly, the elitist right was very opposed to him as well. And so he got both barrels shot at him all the time. And they would denounce anything he said. And then we find out later on, in so many cases, he was absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, there's no, way to, there's no way to repair it. It's like, you know, ruining someone's reputation. How do you go back and repair it once you've ruined it? Yeah, it was literally, if he said blue, they said no, it's uh, white. Yeah. If he said green, it's yellow. It just... And, and and Fauci was never that supportive of him either. No, he. I wasn't. mean, it was obvious. You know, it's funny, John. When uh, when Fauci first came on the scene, I didn't really know he was involved in HIV. I didn't know who he was. Right. He kind of came out the first time on stage, and I remember tweeting out, "You know, there's something about this guy that just doesn't ring true, and I can't really put my finger on it." Just a new So state. I'm not yeah. going to go any further. But it just it was you know just a sixth sense that I yeah. figured that someone right. Well, you certainly got that one right. It's funny when earlier in my career, when I worked for the Associated Press, I did a whole series of stories on ethical lapses on his watch, including the use of foster children in New York to tra uh, treat test AIDS drugs on. And, you know, got a lot of attention at the time. And then he managed, uh, despite all the controversy and the high profile concerns, he managed to survive that. And then 20 years later, there he is back in the limelight running a pandemic strategy that, that you cannot kill a bureaucrat you can't kill them. <laughs> it's true it's <laughs> they're true impervious to everything. <laughs> they are they're the, they're the new teflon there's no doubt about it the uh and but in this one it came with consequences and i think you know i look back at 
suppose that people took the president seriously when, when he had that intuition and he probably had some intelligence too, because, you know, he gets the right. best CIA briefing. We but he is the president. He should know. He, he yeah. should. He should. Absolutely. And they probably did. We could have gone to China and said, listen, accident or no accident, you know what the virus looks like. Help us out. Let's get a head start on it. All of that pushback prevented us from having a constructive opportunity to fight the pandemic. And it comes at the cost of lives. And uh, I've seen you say that on Twitter. And I think it's so important to remind people these bureaucrats decisions, these uh, uh, 180 degree reversals that we've seen, uh, they come with the cost of human life. And I think that's the part we haven't fully grappled with. Well, it happened this time for sure. It really did. Yeah. And I'm not sure that anyone will ever be held accountable for it. I really don't. No. They may be slapped on the wrist, but I don't think their jobs will be lost or they'll retire and just fade into the woodwork. The and, yep. But I mean, good, good Lord, think about it. Think about the millions of people who suffered and died with this around the world. And, and it also promotes a conspiracy, which a lot of people will talk about. And of course, it's easily debunked because we don't know it for sure. Right. But it looks so obvious when Wuhan was closed down. The Chinese knew that these people were in bad shape, and they knew they were dying. Right. And wouldn't let them travel to anywhere in, in China. Not anywhere. They couldn't go to Beijing, Shanghai, I don't care. They were not allowed to get out of the city. But they could fly around the world. Unreal. I mean, explain that. Yep. As long as they didn't go to somewhere else in China, they could go anywhere in the world and spread the virus. It's just crazy. and. It's, There's only one explanation for that. It's not a good one. Yeah, no, it's not. And and uh, and again, uh, you think back at the time when the president closed the borders and it was all, oh, you're a xenophobe. You're doing, but that was yeah. a, a momentous decision that bought the United States a lot of time, I think, to to try to stay ahead of this horrible disease. Really, really remarkable. Well, when he closed down China, flights from China, they he was just pillared. Yep, you know, he was. Xenophobe and, uh, you know, you know, it was right. It was the right thing to do. The poor guy. I mean, I don't say poor guy. I think he's he's probably very happy. He seems like a happy man to me. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, he just couldn't win. If he did everything right and couldn't win. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> so yeah. No, there was such a resistance built to him, and you have the right alliance, right? It's all the Democrats and the elitist Republicans together, and yeah. they probably hampered our country in in many ways in in, in taking such a strident view to it. I want to go back. So to you get- asked me where, where I thought this thing was going. Yes. Where do you think yeah. it's going? And I, I think that's a very important question that I can't literally answer. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have no insight or answers or something like that. I, I, Americans are, have a tendency lately, I think, in the last oh, 30, 40 years to just kind of forget, just move on. Because we're, as a people, we're very forward thinking. Right. And, and there's a, there's a good and a bad part of that. The bad part about it is we don't really rely on history that much to teach us anything. The good thing about it is we move on no matter what's in our way. Right. So I have a feeling that uh, the American people will probably move on. This will go down in history as a forgotten pandemic by most people. And, you know, and I don't think that anyone will be blamed in the press or in the history books or, uh, in the memories of people, I just don't. I just think it'll be a tragedy, yep. as most things are looked at today as a tragedy. Put it in the rearview mirror. Yeah, yeah, and that's too bad because well, there's a lot I of think. learning lessons that we probably need to deduct from it. You know, that's one thing. That I I know that there there are a lot of people involved. I'm sure you are one one of them. But I, I look at history with Hegel and Germany and and uh, you know all of the the Frankfurt School and all those 
all of those really bad ideas that came out of yeah, Germany in, right. in the late uh, 1800s that were picked up by Russia and Italy and and uh, you know other countries in, <clears throat> in the world and and you look at the blueprint of this and all of a sudden you see your country falling for the same stuff that they yeah. did and think holy cow people just knew where this leads the breadcrumbs are there all you got to do is pick them up and follow them and you'll get to the answers and Unfortunately, we just don't do that. Yeah, and that's a really, this current generation, the younger generations, they have no connectivity to that history. And, and that's oh, why. Oh, you sound like Aristotle. Yeah, it's, it's, it's scary, though. It's, um, that's why you end up with a 70% poll that says, you know, millennials 70% think socialism's okay. They never saw what they don't remember or weren't taught what socialism yeah, did to it, these great countries. They even, don't know what it did. No, even as recently as Venezuela. Can. Yeah, it, it's yeah. remarkable. Well, you, I know it's right here in front of us. It's just south of us. And you would think that you'd say, okay, that's socialism. They go, no, 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 that's something else. That's not socialism. Yes, it is. It is, but, 100%. And it took a powerful, economically viable country and, and brought it to its knees in just 10 years. It's remarkable. Uh, it is. Yeah, I was there years ago. I remember it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I want to ask you about another tweet that you had, because I thought this was interesting. And, and, and I, I think you're, you're beginning, and I've seen you talk about this on Twitter a few times. You know, the, uh, the tweet says, they say that Biden is vulnerable because of the border. That's just scratching the surface as far as I'm concerned. I think, you're, I think that this love honeymoon that was with Biden has been very short-lived. People are starting to look at it from the, the pump prices where you're paying more gas to all the things going on. What do you think happens with the Biden presidency? Well, I think it's what happens with the Jimmy Carter presidency and uh, and people who think like they think and have the wrong solutions for the right problems. And, you know, his economic solutions are just awful. You talk about tax, taxes and and uh, corporate taxes and all this kind of thing. It all sounds good on paper. Uh, I, I agree with loopholes on Amazon, people like that who have so many billions of dollars, they're able to avoid taxes. That, uh, right. you know, that's not fair. But uh, there are ways to do that. I just don't think they want to do that because these are people who contribute to them. Because there's been, a, there's been an interesting reversal that people will talk about, but I'm not so sure they understand the depth of it and the significance of it. I remember back when Rockefeller Republicans were the rich guys, and all the Republicans were called country club Republicans. Right, and all that stuff. of course. And that's how we referred to all of these Republicans, that they were just rich and they, didn't re they were out of touch and they didn't know anything. Well, that's completely reversed. It is now we have all of these these extremely wealthy people who are on the side of Democrats, and they're now the country club limo guys, and no one really has paid attention to that giant switch. And so, it's it's just interesting to me watch the economic policies of the Biden administration, how they're handing them down, spending like I think Trump spent too much. I really did. I think that most Republicans spent too. I think George Bush spent too much right. on great things, but there's, he just can't seem to rein in his bureaucracies. Everybody talks about spending and taxing. No one talks about cutting. Yeah, and should really have a a group of people within Congress that have a strong voice that talk about reducing the size of government instead of increasing it. And uh, of course, when you get Democrats into office, their whole purpose is to uh, increase the size Spend of government. Away. Yeah. Every answer government. 
I had Senator Mike Braun on here, and he's one of the few voices in the Senate. And he he kind of when they when he talks about it, he kind of gets uh, like he has a third eye or something. But he's one of the few voices in the Senate saying, "Listen, at some point we got to stop spending like this. We got to tighten our belt." And everybody looks at him like, "What are you talking about? We could just print more yeah, money." You're crazy. It's, it's it's great. And twenty years <laughs> ago, twenty years ago, you know, there were a lot of people that talked talked about fiscal sanity. We had a balanced budget for a period of time. It's hard to even remember that period now. That was back in Clinton. It, it was. was. Well, the Clinton really caused that was Newt Gingrich, so you know that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if it had not been for Newt Gingrich, that wouldn't have happened. No, absolutely. The contract but with America. Dude, I mean, in all fairness, Clinton was the president. He's going to get credit for it. Sure. But, I mean, sure. they keep talking about our children and grandchildren. Well, I have children, and I'm going to have grandchildren. Are you really that worried about them? Because <laughs> they're the ones that are going to really pay the price for all this stuff. They sure are. No, that really is true, and uh, we've just kicked it. I want to take you one more place because I think it, it's a. Uh, I hear more and more people every day talking about this, and as we're heading into Memorial Day and, and the Fourth of July, two great holidays for me personally. Um, hey, listen, is, we're going to be able to have a barbecue out in the backyard. You know, isn't that a good feeling? I know, <laughs> and we can take our mask off outdoors. How about that? So that's cool. Uh, <laughs> um, but th- there is this whole movement in America to talk down America, to look at everything America's done with a negative eye. And I wonder, you've been a great student of history. How did we get to this point? And is it reversible? Can we get out of this rut of seeing that everyone's racist? Everyone is uh, flawed. Everyone has got a bad story. We're ashamed of America. We can't uh, appreciate our founding fathers anymore. How did we get to that point? And is there a way to start to reverse it? Well, in my memory, historically, because I lived through the 60s, it all really started to boil in the 60s. And the victimization of Americans, I believe, certain people in America that were on the left were all of a sudden designated as victims, and so you couldn't oppose them, you couldn't uh, talk down to them, you couldn't correct them, you couldn't do anything. It was just, they're the victims, and you're a bad guy because you're not a victim. And then out of that has grown this whole white supremacy thing, and then the Black Lives Matter movement, which, interestingly enough, the State Department is now allowing our embassies to fly their flag around the the world. It's just nuts. Of course, the State Department, I'm going to say this, you may want to refute it, uh, because people get mad at me when I say this. The State Department has been filled with Marxists for years. You know, nobody pays attention to it. <laughs> I know that's been a popular talking point for a long time with conservatives, but I got some FOIAs recently, and it's really true. You really see a mentality that's grown there. And again, it, you know, I don't even know if they see it themselves, what they're espousing, but you get some of these documents, they're like, wait a second, that's not very American. What are they talking about? Uh, there I is know. a culture there, and it has set in, and it's been there for a long time. I, 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 I believe it after reading those documents. You know, it's interesting, John, if I, I don't know what the answer to is to reversing all of this nonsense that's going on. And I'm not sure it can be done through elections. I'm not sure it can certainly start there by holding people responsible. I don't know whether the American people raising their families, trying to take care of their children, uh, you know, being concerned about their jobs, living life day to day with the problems and overcoming the problems that we all have, have the time to invest in this. And so I, I think it's, it's left an escape door for these people in the bureaucracies to, to foment this stuff and then just compete, perpetuate it to where it becomes kind of the normal conversation when, in fact, there's nothing normal about it at all in America. And 
I don't think it's that we've allowed it. It just happened. It's just we've got a, a group of people, a, a large group of people, who really want to perpetuate this whole Marxist, anti-American talk, language, uh, movies, television, books. And once it gets started in our educational system and through our culture of uh, movies and television and places like that, radio, it's very, very difficult to knock it down. And, and I know they know that. And so the thing that is, when Biden was elected and Trump was that interrupter for four years, right? I think the Democrats finally looked at this and said, Biden's elected. Let's push through as much crap. We don't care what people say about it. We don't care what they think about it. Let's just push it through anyway. If we have to get rid of the filibuster, fine. If we have to pack the court, fine. If whatever it takes, we're going to get this stuff done as much as we can because in 2022, we may lose it all. Yeah, the reverb. And I think that that's starting to sign up. You mentioned the Jimmy Carter phenomenon. It feels a lot like... It's 1979 in the White House and 1993 in Congress. And, you know, that brought us to Gingrich Revolution 94 and the Reagan Revolution of 80. It seems like there's a perfect storm brewing for the Democrats to really get uh, a whooping. And I think that the, you're right. This next six, eight months may be the most instrumental time they have to get well, their Well, they're really attacking through. Republicans and Trump daily. Yep. So you know that they're worried. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I, want to, I want to tell you this because when I was... Uh, Back in the 70s, I was on my mother's back porch in Kentucky, and I was talking about Jimmy Carter, and I, I was not, not that happy with him. And, right. And, I was, and my mother looked at me, and she said, well, you know, he really loves his mother. <laughs> and I thought, holy cow, this is, like, this is going right down to the nub of it, how people feel. That if he loves his mother, he could be the worst friend on earth. It doesn't matter. That's a pass. <laughs> <laughs> that is very funny. Oh, my gosh. That's great. Well, uh, we all should love our mothers for sure, but that still allows Absolutely. us to be discerning politicians, and uh, and uh, we have a lot of discerning to do. Chuck, I can't thank you enough for the time you spent. I know how busy you are, but we're we're just so grateful. We we enjoy your conversations on social media, and uh, you you really know how to speak the truth to the American public. We're really grateful for that. You know, John, I can't tell you how how thankful I am for you and how incredibly surprised I am that you follow my Twitter feed because then you know how, how grammatically correct, incorrect and how bad a speller I am. So, well, <laughs> you let is, that go by the way just to get to the content of it, so I really appreciate that. It's the power and of the content for sure. There's no doubt. And so it makes me feel a lot better, so I well, really appreciate it. Thank you, John. Same here, sir. You have a great Memorial Day weekend. All right, buddy. God bless you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. God bless. All right, folks, how about that? Chuck Woolery, what an incredible opportunity. We're going to go to a quick commercial break. Be right back. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And today... We're going to take you someplace special. I bet you when you woke up this morning, you weren't thinking, I'm going to be thinking about Lithuania today. But we need to be thinking about Lithuania. First, a great American ally. Second, 
really involved in the effort to protect political uh, uh, prisoners, people who have been fleeing the violence and the crackdown in the, in the country, the old Soviet Republic of Belarus, a really gracious neighbor, a, a one dedicated to freedom and to uh, the safety of political uh, refugees. And so we're lucky enough to have today the youngest member of the Lithuanian parliament, a member of the Freedom Party. We all love the word freedom. His name is Marius Machazaitis. And um, sir, I'd like to welcome you to, to the show. Good afternoon. Thanks for inviting me. It's an honor to have you. And um, first off, I, I love when we, we have the pleasure of meeting someone from another country who also is so important to America. Tell us a little bit about how you came to be the youngest member of parliament. How did you get into politics? Well, uh, answering the part uh, how I become the youngest member of the parliament, I guess, is just the... Um, uh, well, by accident, <laughs> there was no other youngest uh, member uh, of the parliament for, for, for this term. Uh, I am 28 years old. Wow. Our uh, minimum term is 25. Right. So last term we had uh, M MPs who started when they were 25. And uh, he, he, also our uh, leader of our Freedom Party, Oshirina Harmonaita, who's um, Minister of Economics and Innovation, she was 26 when she entered, um, well, last um, term. So there has been youngest, younger, well, uh, members of the parliament, uh, obviously, before me. And, uh, but for this term, I am, I am the youngest. And I, I guess it's just the accident. Uh, how are you? started my career in politics well it was also quite natural i guess because i was always into humanitarian sciences social right. sciences history geography literature and um, things like that and i became an activist when i was a uh, 15 16 years old uh, member of some NGOs, like youth organizations. Uh, so we we were active uh, expressing our, um, well, political um, agendas, let's call it like that. And uh, after that, I, I went to study uh, political science and international relations to Scotland. I graduated uh, in uh, from the University of Aberdeen. Sure. Uh, northeast of Scotland. So um, there I studied basically international politics uh, um, in a very international community with uh, lecturers from around the globe and uh, students from all over the Europe and the uh, world. Um, so uh, the, the field was very uh, cosmopolitan, international, and uh, uh, it's not only theory, but also this practical uh, way to understand other cultures, other, uh, let's say, worlds, uh, the, the mentality of uh, people from other states. And um, so, uh, yeah, so after studies, one year later, I came back to Lithuania. I was a, a manager in the office. Uh, my career start, uh, after graduation uh, started like that. And um, gradually, uh, I became an activist in a group uh, that decided to establish a party. Uh, we needed 2,000 uh, signatures and uh, a proper campaign to establish a party legally. Uh, I, I was there from the very beginning, 2000, uh, January 2019. Right. And um, so I went through all those uh, stages of, of uh, the creation of our uh, relatively new uh, liberal party in Lithuania. I became, uh, well, a branch uh, 
chair, deputy chair of our Kaunas branch. That's the second biggest city in Lithuania. Right. And eventually, somebody offered me to run for the elections in the parliament. And well, there was a lot of work, and finally, I was elected. <laughs> so, long How story about short, that. And uh, now deeply engaged in in the business of democracy and governance. That's really exciting. Uh, and so you helped form the Freedom Party. Is that correct? Oh uh, yes. Wow, what a really cool thing to be able to do: create your own political party, then run for office, and and be able to give back to your to your country. The um, Belarus is not a country that we maybe talk about all the time in the United States, but it is one that our government and our intelligence communities have been watching for quite some time. There's a very totalitarian regime there, and there are these political refugees who have fled uh, the totalitarianism and they've come to Lithuania and Lithuania has given them safe passage and security. Uh, and this past week in the last week, we did have a little bit of news about Belarus, even in the American media, because the leader of the country forced a plane down uh, in an effort to uh, get a dissident journalist uh, arrested or apprehended. Um, but you live this every day, and your country has been so gracious to take in those fleeing the totalitarianism of Belarus. Tell us a little bit about what Lithuania has done, how many Belarusians are you protecting, and what the situation is on the ground there right now. Well, uh, I cannot tell exactly the well the exact number of uh, Belarusian opposition uh, or, or uh, say refugees that are in place in in Lithuania at the moment but there's um, obviously thousands however because you know some of them have this uh, legal protection um, right um, and some of those has visa and if we uh, talk I guess we will be talking about Roman Protasevich this the, la the last political um prison in right. in Minsk in Belarus so he only got a visa because he didn't apply for refuge and therefore our uh, security agencies didn't, didn't really uh, look close to uh well didn't track him or protect him um so much right. because he didn't apply for that and so um we probably need to do even more but but what you what you expressed very uh, correctly that we are welcome we are open to w welcome them all uh and uh, lithuania is a very um i would say comfy place uh because we didn't have a language we do not have a language barrier uh that big and in in Vilnius, in Klaipeda, uh people uh, Communicate in Russian if 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 they if they need so. Right. Uh, young people, uh, uh, elder people alike. So and uh, young Belarusians they speak English properly. So there's also not a problem. And we do have programs to integrate uh, Belarusian uh, workers in our um, market, uh, transport or uh, building sector or even other. And we have this uh, Belarusian Lithuanian University. Uh, that attracts a lot of uh, students from Belarus uh, in, in recent years. So, uh, sorry, I do not have the statistics exactly how many people there are, but uh, I'm sure there's uh, thousands. And um, yeah. well, the borders are even more um, dangerous, like from today, actually. So I'm quite sure that we will have to uh, welcome uh, much more. It's remarkable, you know, and in our country. Uh, Lithuania obviously is such an important part of the narrative of the end of the Cold War. Lithuania, of course, 
was the first Baltic state to leave the Soviet Union even before the Soviet Union uh, had dissolved itself. And so it took an act of courage, an act of de uh, democracy to, to make that happen. And we have watched, you know, for the last 30 years, Lithuania's developed a pretty remarkable economy. It has a, a great record on human freedom. It has a great record on democracy. And yet it is surrounded by a lot of former Soviet republics and others that uh, don't share the same uh, value system, the same commitment to human rights, the same commitment to human freedom. Uh, and so it really stands as a beacon in the, in the Baltic region as, as you know, representing what we in America value so much. When you look out now and you see what's going on in Belarus, when you see, you know, Russia with Putin, uh, how does uh, Lithuania manage to just thrive as a, uh, a human rights-loving democracy amongst a lot of countries that probably don't share the same values? Uh, how have you guys been able to pull that off? Well, I would say the end of 90s, the beginning of uh, 2000s uh, has been those years turning point. And Belarus and Russia has elected leaders that were probably, not probably, definitely not good for democracy. Yeah. And uh, Lithuania uh, had some leaders who has been who has been determined to seek for the membership in the European Union and NATO, and has done a lot of necessary reforms to uh, reach the standards needed from 2004 uh, when we entered nato and european union uh we we, we still uh we still strive uh, for better like uh, every year every month every day and um, of course we have all kinds of debates and, and downfalls as any political system i would say any democracy of course as well of course uh, even western democracies they uh, uh, you know, there's some setbacks even the in in the U.S. I would say there has been recently. When now we uh, really value uh, new uh, um, President Biden actually um, and his uh, leadership and and his uh, vision of democracy first. Uh, this is uh, this is what uh, really uh, warms our heart, and uh, we share the same vision: democracy first. And uh, so when we talk about uh, well helping uh, Eastern Partnership countries like uh, Belarus, Ukraine, uh, Moldova, right, uh, uh, Georgia, and in Caucasus, uh, um, Armenia, Azerbaijan, um, so we really do lots of uh, well diplomatic steps, economic steps, and even um, um, even even some steps with NATO uh, in Ukraine, right. Uh, to really um, well show them that it is possible to be a success story that Baltic countries are uh, at the moment, just as you say that Lithuania is uh, valuing uh, human rights and 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 um, and um, has this uh, really proper standard of uh, democracy um, in the European um, standard. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, it is, and and I, I know presidents, Republican and Democratic alike, have always held up Lithuania here in the United States as an example of a country that really made a tremendous uh, evolution from departing the Soviet Union and and becoming you know a beacon of freedom in a, in a region that doesn't have a lot of freedom in a lot of places. You look around; there's a lot of countries there. How concerned are not only Lithuanians but all the Baltic states about what 
uh, President Lushenko in um, Belarus has been doing? I mean, how bad is the situation in Belarus right now? Well, it is extremely bad because, uh, well, since August, uh, people know that elections has presidential elections has been stolen from the people, right, right. Uh, of, of Belarus. And we um, we protect this uh, rightfully elected uh, president, uh, Svetlana Tsikhanovska. Right. And um, she's a refugee in your comp- uh, country, correct? Right. Yes. And uh, well, uh, from then uh, in, in Belarus, there's uh, 430 political prisoners. Wow. So you, the, these people are not criminals. Right. Uh, these are the people who are journalists, students, uh, members of different kinds of associations that uh, has been uh, peacefully showing their um, political um, will, uh, asking for free and fair elections, but uh, instead they were beaten and put into prison. Oh, there is, oh, it's it, the situation is so bad that if you go to a shop right now with uh, a wrong type of colors on your clothes, uh, I mean. Uh, you could be uh, also beaten, and wow. there's also um, stories of murder. Um, mm. On Wednesday, a student who was uh, accused of participating in a in a protest, peacefully protest, he was uh, he committed suicide. I saw that. Yes. Um, mm. So I do not know where to start from, but the situation of uh, this is a criminal regime. Let's put it like that, because. Uh, it's 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 uh, it's beyond words <laughs> to say how bad it is. Yeah. And Lithuania is really concerned. Uh, regular people, uh, politicians, um, agencies are watching um, uh, every every day, every week, uh, following the events. And uh, so yes, we we are we are telling the uh, well the businesses of uh, Belarus uh, that. Uh, you have all the chances to do business in Lithuania or re- redeploy, work here uh, uh, for temporary time or permanent time uh, until it uh, fixes, because it has to fix. Uh, well, the regimes, totalitarian uh, dictatorships, these kind of regimes are ag- extremely aggressive in the end. Yep. So we must understand that, that it's probably the beginning of the end. So we are concerned that uh, about how far it can go further. Sure. Uh, that's our main concern, but yeah. it, it has gone far um, already. <laughs> so yeah. That's my interpretation. Well, we have a lot of world history to show that when a regime is, is hanging on for dear life, what sort of brutality you could see. We saw it in Syria. We've seen it in so many places. But the, the Belarusians who've been able to get to your country are so blessed to have the protection of Lithuania, to have the, um, the human rights acknowledgement that um, is there. Now, we're, we're many miles away. Obviously, we've always stood with Lithuania through, uh, through all, everything going all the way back to World War II. But what can Americans here do, you know, everyday Americans, what can our government do to assist those trying to topple the regime in Belarus and to uh, protect those who have been persecuted by this totalitarian regime? In my opinion, uh, the United States is doing already um, a lot, and uh, we should just keep up with that, uh, um, expressing their support for Lithuanian position, uh, yep. Lithuanian expressed position, because we, we are closer, as you just mentioned. We probably know some uh, things from our intelligence agencies and our, our intuition as well, because we, we are from the same uh, block of countries that... Uh, uh, quit uh, the Soviet Union, and uh, by by the fact 
Belarus is still is still under well the satellite country of a Russian uh, regime, uh, Kremlin right. regime, let's call it like that. So under the United States, obviously, we we share the information. We we do that already. We always ask uh, American um, uh, officers, um, high-ranking officers, to um, to be in our alliance when we are in a very uh, high high high-class <laughs> conferences. Right. Uh, G7, you know, um, all kinds of United Nations uh, talks, like ICE, uh, International uh, Civil Aviation Organization, was, uh, has uh, just finished um, the conference this morning, and uh, the United States and the United Kingdom, uh, together with um, Sweden and, and countries like that, has been uh, in the same voice of Lithuania, and this is. Uh, this is a lot already. Uh, so sure I think we, we are doing a, a very good work. We should continue and, uh, you know, sharing information, talking the what be the one voice, you know. We are um, so grateful for the example that Lithuania has been since the downfall of the Soviet Republic. And when we look here in America, uh, it's always a, a country we talk about and say, you know what, they got it right. They They practice uh, democracy, human freedom. They 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 walk the walk. They talk the talk. And uh, in this difficult situation with Belarus right now, I think we're very blessed to to see uh, how you guys are, are are standing firm and protecting people who otherwise would be persecuted. It is a a great example. And of course, this weekend in America, we celebrate Memorial Day where we honor those who fought for freedom in the past and gave their life uh, in in uh, the name of freedom. And and today we see. A pretty remarkable example of of you, sir, and, and your great country stepping up and helping those who are being persecuted for uh, being political refugees, and it's a remarkable thing. So, thank you for educating us. It's an important thing, and we wish you luck in Lithuania as you um, as you fight this totalitarian government to your to your neighbors uh, right. Thank you, sir. <laughs> it was a pleasure to be invited. Yeah, thank you for for making us smarter. We really appreciate it. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the holiday weekend. Be right back. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. What a day. Huh? We started with some 1776 patriotism, an opportunity to remember all that is going on in the world, in our schools, and we ended it. Uh, with a, a remarkable conversation of democracy in action in a little Soviet, former Soviet Republic called Lithuania, we all know where it is, uh, in the Baltics, uh, their uh, courage in standing up to its neighbor, Belarus, and protecting political prisoners and political refugees who have fled the violence and the crackdown and the totalitarianism that has occurred in Belarus. We, we saw the jet force down, uh, but the NP, the member of parliament, uh, Marius Matosaitis, really helped us understand what's going on. It, you know, sometimes we live in our own worlds, we're so busy and we don't realize some of the 
uh, threats to freedom. We've talked a lot about Hong Kong and what China is doing all across the world, but particularly in Hong Kong. Uh, Belarus is another one of those places, obviously not as big and powerful as China, but certainly in the sphere of Russia and Vladimir Putin and what it is doing to its own people, to those who oppose the president, who just want democracy and freedom like we enjoy on this great country's soil. Well, they've been persecuted, and this little tiny country, I think it's less than 3 million people, Lithuania, has stood up and said, we will protect these dissidents. We will not allow them to be killed or imprisoned just because they're arguing for freedom and democracy, election fairness, something all of us here in America should appreciate as we fight for our own election fairness, for our own election integrity, for our own freedoms in an era where some people want to restrain them, constrain them. The great country of Lithuania should be an inspiration. They're small but mighty in the fight for freedom and in the fight for human rights. That's pretty cool, pretty good. And they clearly take their example from the great United States of America. So glad to take you to Eastern Europe, back to the Baltics just for a few minutes so that you could be a little aware of what's going on and uh, throw your support, your prayers to those being persecuted in Belarus and those in Lithuania fighting for their freedom and safety and protection. Pretty cool stuff. All right, it is time to go into my favorite weekend of the year, Memorial Day weekend. For all who have served, you have my heartfelt thanks to all who have given your lives, as I will this weekend and often do, we, when we walk by your headstones at these great military cemeteries of the world, we remember your sacrifice. You will never be forgotten. I know the listeners on this show, the members of my own family, my child, my son, my wife, my father who served during the Vietnam War, who served as a police chief after that, and my great uncles who fought in World War II, particularly my Uncle Henry and my Uncle Stanley. Uh, one was an infantryman of great valor, the other a uh, army medic of great valor. They're long since gone, but their sacrifice and the example that they gave my generation and the generations that followed them is never lost. It is held right here in my heart, in my mind, and we're going to pass it on to many generations ahead. To the brave, to the wounded, to those who have fallen, we honor you this weekend. We salute you and um, know that your sacrifice is forever forever appreciated. God bless everyone. Have a great weekend. We're so lucky to be in this great country of America. All the craziness aside, you know what? We're still the best darn country the world ever created. All right. Have a great weekend. Barbecue some steaks, throw some shrimp on the thing. Hey, if it's raining, put some Express VPN on your computer system and protect your data. All those are friends of uh, this show, friends of Just the News brand pay them back, buy their services if you need them. Good steak, good seafood, good security, Express VPN, good HR for my friends at Bambi. Uh, if you're a small business with HR, great folks all around. You got a moment, check them out this weekend. All right, God bless, God send. We'll be back on Memorial Day with a special tribute to the incredible fighting men and women of the United States Armed Forces. God bless. 